0: Awaken podcast. I hope
1: you enjoy the teaching. Hello and welcome to Awaken. My name is Jess Smith. I'm the admin here. And we're just really glad you're here, especially if you're new. Welcome. Welcome. Um, we'd love to know that you're here. If you're comfortable filling out a Connect card, uh, if you go to our homepage, there's a button that says, I'm new here. If You just click on that, we'll be in touch. And we'd love to get in touch with you um, over email or in person, go out for a drink, just let us know. Um, this morning, I wanted to bring a call to worship um, to kind of gather our hearts and minds as we start. And it, when I think of wells and fences, I think of something my husband always says, Uh, When it comes to Christ and to kind of the laws that are set out for us in the Bible, he says, I would always rather side with love when it comes down to it. So, um, and I think that's what Wells and Fences makes me think of. Um, Yeah, instead of who's in and who's out, how can we be loving? And especially in this past year, we as a staff have thought about how we can love the community that we may not even be able to see at the moment. Um, and just pray and know that God's love will find you however it needs to. So, I wanted to share a poem from Morgan Harper Nichols. Um, she has spoken to me a lot this, over this past year. So, it's from her book called All Along You Were Blooming. And it goes like this It says, Sometimes love is just learning how to stay, it's not always a grand gesture, but an inward posture. And sometimes, love isn't seen or appreciated in the way you want. But maybe, maybe love goes deeper than what you can see, and it rattles the soul. Love is as vast as the ocean, and we're always only swimming on the surface of its greatness. And we may not see how far our love goes or who it will reach, but we can always choose to trust. We need love, even when we do not know where the love we are giving will be received.
2: I've taught in preschool before. Uh, Before COVID, I was teaching with our second and third graders who knows where I'll end up next. But I am so excited because today, Miss Mandy asked me to read you guys a story. And so knowing that we're talking about wells and fences today, I knew I had the perfect book. It's called, Maybe I Can Love My Neighbor Too. Because guess what? God is love, the Bible tells us. And what draws people to the well is love. And so we're gonna talk about how we can love our neighbors. So let's take a look. It's by Jennifer Grant with really cool illustrations by by a guy named Benjamin Shipper. All right, so it says, I live at the corner of 9th and 19th, upstairs in apartment 4A. A building is going up across the street Week after week, it grows taller and taller, climbing up high into the sky. Mama, will all the new people be our neighbors too? I ask one day. Every single person is our neighbor, she says, whether they live next door or across the street or far, far away. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbors, but how can I love that many people, I ask. Mama gives me a hug. Oh, honey, she says, I'm sure you'll find a way. Maybe start by noticing the ways others show love. A man walks by the construction site, pushing a shopping cart that's stuffed with blankets and bags. The wheels hit a bump in the road and the carts, it almost tips over but one of the workers moves fast to catch it and sets it upright again. Helping someone who's just passing by is a way to show love. Maybe I can love my neighbor too. Mama and I walk down to the park, just like we do every day. I see a man and a woman up ahead talking to people while they wait at the light. I stare at the pictures on the man's arms while he tells Mama about people who had to leave their homes because they weren't safe anymore. Mama hands a few dollars to the woman who has a purple stripe in her hair. Giving money so people can have a safe place to live is a way to show love. Maybe I can love my neighbor too. At the park, an old man is shouting his dog's name, Shadow, Shadow, he calls. A boy runs after the dog, diving to catch him. A minute later, Shadow is back with his owner. The old man says, thank you, over and over and over. Helping older folks, is a way to show love. Maybe I can love my neighbors too. Mama, look at me, I shout. She waves from the bench under her favorite tree. When I'm out of breath, I sit at the edge of the sandbox watching the other kids play. A girl tosses me a shovel and pail. Then we build the most elegant castle and dig a moat around it. We decorate it with royal flags made of sticks and seeds and leaves. That was kind of that girl, Mama says when we're walking back home. I liked how she loved her neighbor, and the neighbor this time was you. Sharing toys with a new friend is a way to show love. Maybe I can love my neighbor, too. There's sand between my toes, and Mama says it's time for the tub. But then we hear a knock at the door. It's our neighbors from upstairs, and they baked us a loaf of bread. Sharing good things to eat is a way to show love. Maybe I can love my neighbors, too. At dinner, I tell Daddy, guess what? I learned something new today. That's what I like to hear, he says. What is it? Every person in the whole world is my neighbor, I say, and I can love them. I could give my birthday money to somebody who needs it more than I, I say, or I could carry groceries or open doors for people who aren't as strong as I am. I pull up my sleeves and show my muscles. Can you guys show us your muscles? Those are some good muscles. There are a lot of ways, I say. I can be kind to other kids in the park, or even bake something to share with people in our building. I knew you'd find ways to show love to others, Mama says with a smile. Every other person in the whole wide world is my neighbor, whether they live next door, or across the street, or far, far away. And now, I know I can love my neighbors too. And so you guys can love your neighbors too. Look at all the ways around you that people are showing love and try to do that or come up with some of your own. I know you guys are super creative. You got really creative brains and you can find really cool ways to love the people around you. So to help you do that, we're going to sing you guys a song and bless you today.
3: everybody, welcome to Awaken. Uh, my name is Micah if we haven't met. Thanks to Jess and Teresa, some new voices tonight. That was lovely. I guess it's morning maybe where you're listening or watching, I don't know. What is time anymore anyways? Um, well, I know that this is week four of Wells and Fences, so uh, we know that much. But um, yeah, Wells and Fences, we... Uh, we've been doing this series over the last couple of weeks, and it's an important one because it asks the kind of question, like, what kind of church do we want to be? Um, and we're using these pictures of, uh, or metaphors of gathering around a well or building or constructing fences uh, in order to help kind of make this a bit more clear. And so, awaken. Uh, we have a choice to make. I don't know if you know that or not. We have agency in terms of what people experience when they come and they participate in our church, when they are a part of our community. So do you want to be um, more of a bounded set community where the most important question is, what, do you believe what we believe, where we spend a lot of our time and energy building, constructing, fixing, tending to fences and boundaries so we know who's in and who's out, what the rules are so everybody can be clear, or do we want to gather around a well do we want to gather around a well and be committed to the water that's in it, that it's transformative and life-giving? And I'll say, if I have anything to say about it, I'm going to choose the well and not the fence uh, if I get to be the pastor here. Um, I want to be, uh, and I want you to be, the kinds of people who are learning how to function in centered set ways where less energy is spent concerned about who's in and who's out, uh, Whether or not everyone's following all of the rules or not, whether or not our beliefs are orthodox, those things are important, yes. But in terms of uh, what I hope for, it's that we're asking people and each other, are you thirsty? And do you, have you experienced the living water that we find in Christ? Um, And then how are you living that out? How are you embodying that faith? An an important question we talked about last week. So for review, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, uh, we're suggesting that the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ is the well in the center that we as a church community want to gather around. If that's the case, then what kinds of things will need to be present? What do we need to be practicing and encouraging around here? So week one, we talked about the, the idea of being curious instead of feeling the need to defend God or the, the gospel or the truth or the Bible, that we're curious people. We're coming alongside of what the Spirit of God is already at work doing in the world. We've been invited to participate, to partner with God in this uh, in this renewal of all things. So, um, not only being curious, but then also being uh, valuing questions as a part of the faith journey. Last week, we talked about orthodoxy, which means right belief, but more than that, Uh, orthopraxy, the practice of that belief. Both are important, but we we talked last week that living out our faith in a particular way, one that could be described as generous, humble, and free, is maybe as important as the belief in and of themselves. So this week, I wanna keep going, and we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, before you get nervous or um, run for the doors, Uh, I do. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And I want to suggest that if we're going to do this, gather around a well instead of building fences, that it will be absolutely critical that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Uh, And I'm going to argue, I'm going to offer two reasons why this is necessary, and then spend a bit of time talking about in the scriptures, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Because it's a little bit of an ambiguous um, well, doctrine or belief or idea that God somehow exists as three but one. So um, let's start here. We'll start in Acts chapter 2, and then we'll jump in. This is starting in verse 1 of Acts 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Pray with me. God, uh, this morning as we look to your scriptures to offer wisdom and insight and direction and guidance on what it means to be followers of Jesus, I pray that through um, the meditations in my heart and the words of my mouth and this time that we have gathered together that you would do your work in us that you would challenge us and invite us, call us deeper and deeper into yourself um, so that we might be formed and shaped by this life of Jesus, I pray. In Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Hey, uh, guess what? Today's Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Um, Pentecost Sunday, every year in the church calendar, so if you follow the liturgical calendar, it begins in Advent and moves its way to Christmas, and then after Christmas it moves its way into Epiphany and before long, we're into Lent, and then Easter, and then Easter tide, and now Pentecost. Um, Pentecost happens 50 days after 49, seven weeks, 49 days plus one, uh, after Easter, and it celebrates the Spirit, the uh, the Spirit of God being given to the church, as recorded in the Book of Acts, which is part of the story that we just read. Now, a little bit, maybe you don't know this about Pentecost. Um, while this was happening in the Book of Acts. The Jewish people would have been in Jerusalem celebrating another festival called Shavuot. Shavuot is the festival of weeks. And that is a commemoration or a celebration of the giving of the law at at Mount Sinai, the giving of Torah at Mount Sinai. So imagine, right, you're Jewish, it's um, 50 days after Passover, and you are in Jerusalem, you're celebrating Shavuot, the giving of Torah at Sinai. What's happening in Pentecost, and it's sort of like almost layered right on top of it, right? You have Easter, and 50 days after Easter, Pentecost happens. The giving of not Torah, but the giving of the Spirit for not Israel, but the people of God who are now in Christ. So it's almost as if the book or the story or the, the writer of Acts, Luke, is trying to like call your attention to something that maybe you've been familiar with if you were a Jew in that time. Um, so that's a little bit about Pentecost, and before I offer two reasons why I think dependence on the Spirit is going to be critical for us, uh, let me just say acknowledge a couple of things. The first of which is the Holy Spirit is a little weird. Um, if we're just totally honest, and I'm trying, I, I hope that this doesn't like diminish the value of or the importance of the Spirit of God because it plays an incredibly important role in the Bible and in the story of Jesus. But it is a bit weird for many of us, myself included. Um, The weirdest experiences we've had in Christianity, maybe even some of the most harmful or damaging experiences we've had in Christianity, have been with the Holy Spirit at, like, center stage. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a crush on this girl. Her name shall remain nameless. Um, But I would, of course, do anything to, to get this gal to like me, including go to her youth group. Well, her youth group happened to be a very charismatic church over on Summit Avenue. I went to a very not charismatic church in Roseville. And so I show up to this, this youth group and I'm, I'm seeing things for the first time like I have never seen before. Kids are like running up and down the aisles and dancing and singing and getting words from the Lord and people are prophesying and speaking in tongues. And as like a 16-year-old, I was just beside myself. I didn't even know what to do. When I got to college, Laura and I went to this Bible study, and I say Bible study because when I imagine a Bible study, you know, a group of people sit in a circle, usually very organized, and then we open our Bibles and we read a passage, and then somebody tells us what that passage means and why it means that and what the Greek is and what the Hebrew, it's a Bible study, friends. This was a Bible study like I've never seen in my life. Again, very charismatic. It was with a friend of Laura's roommate, actually. People speaking in tongues, like, giving words of the Lord, prophecy. I got prophesied over, uh, like, it it turns out the prophecy wasn't correct. But be that as it may, it was wild, you guys. So I want to just start by saying, if you're here, and if you're at Awaken, you probably maybe have a little bit of, like, scratchy around the Holy Spirit, this idea that, well, yeah, um... What happens when the Holy Spirit gets involved in the conversation? And I want to just acknowledge that, okay? So, secondly, I would say that it's one of the more difficult doctrines or ideas in the whole Bible. It wasn't until 325 A.D., late, late in Christian history, that the church even like, came to the conclusion that we call it the, that God exists as Trinity. Uh, Tertullian is a church father, and he wrote God. Father, Son, and Spirit are of one essence and yet different in person. This became very important in the debate about the Trinity. So uh, the, the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, in case you didn't know that. Uh, it, it, it's inferred, it's intimated, but the word Trinity doesn't actually exist in the Bible. So it took a long time to even get to this, and it's a tricky thing to talk about. Um, you know, if you're not a Christian or you're not on the inside of this thing and you're you're looking in from the outside and people start talking about God existing as one but also as three persons, you might think it's a little kooky. And that's okay cuz it's a really tricky thing to think about and understand. Be that as it may, I'm still going to talk about the fact that I think dependence on the Holy Spirit is critical for us if we're going to gather around a well instead of building fences. Why? Number 1, we need an objective third party. If we're gonna gather around a well, instead of building fences, then as a community, we need something outside of ourselves that is trusty and true, as Damian Rice says. Imagine a couple, right, a, a married couple, and they just continually find themselves going down the same path, coming to the same spot, and, and not being able to resolve whatever the issue is. Um, they, they, they continually find that conflict and strife and, and unresolved issues meet them. And so they go and look for somebody to help them see clearly what they, what, what's going on and why they can't find their way to resolution. They need someone outside of their relationship because they don't possess within themselves the capacity or the skills to resolve the conflict. Here's what I know about humans. Given enough time... There's a very predictable path that gets traveled with very very predictable results. Given enough time, you will choose the path of least resistance with the least amount of conflict. And you will, in the end, choose yourself over me. Given enough time, I will choose the path of least resistance with the least amount of conflict. And given enough time, I will choose myself over you. I would say it this way. All sin and brokenness in our world is could be summed up as some form of me before you, or me at cost to you. All sin and brokenness, all division, all harm and hurt and, and uh, uh, things that aren't the way they are supposed to be in the world could be summed up as some form of me before you, me at cost to you. So if we're going to gather around a well and we're not gonna require people to sign off on doctrine and dogma and all in a confession because we believe it's the right confession, then we need someone, something outside of ourselves because the path is predictable and the results are equally predictable. If I'm in charge, or if you're in charge, if we're gathering around a well and it's dependent on you or someone or me or, or the elders of the church, that's not good news for anybody. I don't trust you and you shouldn't trust me wholly, completely, fully in that sense. But if we have something outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves which are very predictable and in the end ultimately always choose me before you, a source that we have ways of authenticating, whether it be scripture or the life of Jesus or tradition or reason or the community around us. It's possible to do the well and not fences, but if we don't have something outside of ourselves, all we can do is fences, because somebody decides what the rules are, they usually have the most power, and they're usually male, and then they tell everybody what to do and how to do it. But we're not interested in that. We're interested in a, in a faith that's alive, that's dynamic, and that's moving, and so what we need is not me and not you, but something outside of ourselves. We need an objective third party, because ultimately... The story ends the same when I'm running the boat, running the show, driving the boat, uh, whatever the metaphor is, you get the point. So first, why uh, why do we need to depend on the Holy Spirit if we're gonna gather around a well? Because we desperately need an objective third party that's outside of ourselves, that helps determine what is true and right and good and leads us and we follow. Secondly, I would say, because God's not done speaking. We're going to talk about this more next week, but for today, God is still interested in revealing God's self to you and I. John 14, 26 says this. But the advocate, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Think about it this way. If God is done speaking and there's no more new revelation, then we don't need the Spirit. All we need is to, like, we have the Bible, so we just have to read it and apply it. It's easy, right? A plain reading of Scripture, and we don't need the Spirit if God's done speaking. But if God's not done speaking, then we desperately need the Spirit. We desperately need that God's Spirit to teach and illuminate and and show us And this is the work of the Spirit in the Scriptures, to teach and guide. And it is necessary and helpful for us because why? Because God is still speaking. So why depend on the Spirit? We need something outside of ourselves, desperately, because it's predictable where this thing ends, if I'm in charge or you're in charge. And because God's still interested in revealing God's self to us. So let's spend the rest of our time exploring, okay, this Holy Spirit, right? This big, giant Christian idea, well, what are some things that we find the Spirit doing in the Scriptures? What do we know we can, we can trust the Spirit to do in our midst as a community gathered in the name of Jesus? First and foremost, the job of illuminating. Again, John 14, I just talked about it. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said. In the Covenant Affirmations book, they have this great quote, and it says this. The Holy Spirit continues the creative work of the Father and the redeeming work of the Son within the life of the church. So what's the work of the Spirit? It's to continue the creative work of God, the the creative work that begins in Genesis. And then also to uh, uh, to highlight, to illuminate, the redeeming work of Jesus the Son. So one of the jobs of the Spirit is to illuminate a lot like the candles of Havdalah. Now I've told this story a long time ago, but Laura and I used to study with a rabbi and we studied on Saturday and uh, excuse me Sunday and Monday. And group one studied on Friday and Saturday. And it came uh, for whatever reason we ended up swapping a few members. And Laura and I studied on Friday and Saturday instead of Saturday Sunday and Monday. And I quickly learned that we've gotten the short end of the stick as Sunday Monday. Because they got to study all day and then begin Sabbath together on Friday night as they closed in dinner. And so they would light the candles and sing the blessings and Shabbat would happen. It would begin sundown on Friday night. And then on Saturday, they would gather again and they would study all in the the midst of Shabbat. And at the end of that night, they would gather around the table for what's called Havdalah. Havdalah means like division or separation in Hebrew. And it's the dividing of time between Sabbath and work. And so there's, a, there's a, 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 a ceremony or a liturgy, if you will, that um, folks who celebrate Sabbath would go through. And there are three blessings, one for, uh, one for the wine uh, and, a, and a conversation around what's been intoxicating and something that you wanna, you know, that gave you great joy and delight during Sabbath. And then a blessing over the spices where a conversation about what do you wanna savor and what do you wanna linger around, what's an aroma, something you wanna just like stay with for a while. And then the last blessing is the, le- the blessing of the candle, the light. And so as Havdalah ends, it's a marking of time. It's a separating between Sabbath and work. And so there are two candles lit, and then one is, one is extinguished. And Rabbi Allen looks at me and he says, Hey, Micah, would you extinguish the, the, can- the Havdalah candle? And in this moment, I realized that when I blew out that candle, all the joy and delight of Sabbath was over all the people that this light illuminated around this table would be in darkness and there would be an, a new beginning, a new, a new work week, not the end of the world, but that something would be over because the, the light of Havdalah was illuminating the beauty and wonder and delight of Sabbath. And that, my friends, is what the Spirit does. It illuminates, it draws attention to, it shows off, it brings your your uh, it brings your attention to the work and the person of Jesus the Christ. There's this great idea in Christian theology. It's from Calvin and the reformers, though I'm not too keen on those folks most of the time. I do love this one, and that is, the Holy Spirit enables us to see and hear the good news about Jesus. It's as if. The Holy Spirit helps take scales off of our eyes so that we can see Jesus for who Jesus really is. As I said before, if God's done speaking, there's no need for the Spirit. But if God's still interested in revealing, then we desperately need the Spirit. In Scripture, this happens all the time. In the Old Testament and the New, 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha the prophet prays that God would open the eyes of the servant of the man of God. Acts chapter 17, Ananias prays that God would praise for Saul, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit and Scales would be removed from his eyes so that he could see. And the, the whole book of Acts, actually, is just story after story of people's eyes being opened by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit so they see Jesus for who he really is. That's actually one of the reasons why I started this church a long time ago is I really desperately wanted people to know and see Jesus for who he really was. I felt like the church wasn't doing a great job sometimes, and people were getting the wrong idea as to what Jesus was really like. And so could we be a community that maybe even helped, participated in the illuminating work that the Spirit was up to? This happened to my roommate in college, actually. When I was at CCU, his name was Alec. He was an atheist, and he just decided to read the Gospels. He was like, well, you know. I want to be able to critique the thing that I don't believe in. So he started reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And sure enough, would you know it, that as he read, he began to see Jesus for who he was to the point where he, on his own, just decided to follow Jesus after reading the Gospels because of the illuminating work of the Spirit. Friends, this is one of the things that the Spirit of God does. It helps people see Jesus for who he is. So here's a really radical question for you. May seem a little out of place at Awaken, but, you know, that's okay. I like to throw you curveballs sometimes. Is there anybody in your life that you're praying for? That the work of the Spirit might happen in their life and that they might see Jesus for who he really is? I probably don't talk about that enough. But I do believe that people are found by the good news of the gospel in Jesus. And so I wanna ask you this this morning, is there anybody that you're praying for? Is there anybody that you're hoping might see Jesus for who he is? Maybe they've been wounded, maybe they've been hurt, maybe they have a, a, a misrepresentation of who God is and what God is like. Are you praying that the spirit might illuminate the good news of God in Christ to that person? And if not, why not? might I suggest or invite you to consider making that a practice. So the Spirit illuminates. The Spirit also indwells. Allow me to just do a bit of, um, well, just basic Bible, the- Bible uh, teaching, a little theology this morning. Um, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God rested or dwelled or uh, tabernacled is another word for it. Um, in the tabernacle, between the two cherubim that sat on the ark of the covenant. So in Exodus chapter 25, we hear this: You, the Israelites, shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark shall be put, uh, or in you shall put the testimony that I will give you in the ark. And there I will meet you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I, God, will speak to you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So basically the spirit of God, the presence of God rested between these two cherubim that sat on top of the ark, the lid for the ark, inside of the temple. So the ark gets placed in the Holy of Holies inside the temple when it gets built and the high priest once a year goes into the Holy of Holies and on behalf of the people is in the presence of God. The dwelling of God was in the house of God, in the temple. So this is where it gets wild. When Jesus dies on the cross, he acts as a high priest for us he goes before god on our behalf and symbolically the veil in the temple the holy of holies is torn into releasing the spirit of god into the world and this is the shocking moment of pentecost that the spirit of god no longer dwells in the temple but rather in the hearts and minds of the believer who by faith enter relationship with jesus so the spirit of god now makes its dwelling not in a temple not in a church but in you in me in those who follow this jesus which is significant for a number of reasons, but let me highlight a couple. One, if everybody has the Spirit, if everybody is indwelled by the Spirit, everyone who has faith in Christ has the gift of the Spirit, then everybody's, everybody matters. Everybody's interpretation matters. Everybody's reading of Scripture matters. Why? Because they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the pastors or the really smart people who've studied the Bible their whole lives who who get to speak or who get to talk about. This is one of the things I loved about the covenant is that they just studied the Bible together. They called themselves the readers and everybody was welcome and they valued and and like carved out space so that no voices were left out in the margins. They protected that space so that everybody could speak because they believe that everybody in faith has been given the gift of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but it levels the playing field, right? Kids, old people, people who are differently abled, all the, traditionally people who get left on the edges, whose voices get squashed. No, it's level, friends. I have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in me as much as you have the gift of the Spirit dwelling in you by faith. And so, this is why Jesus says, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So the Spirit is illuminating and helping us see. The Spirit is indwelling the life of the believer and the church. And lastly, the Spirit is leading us out beyond. There's a poet called Rumi, and he has this great poem that says, essentially, there is a field out beyond right and wrong, and I will meet you there. What's he saying? That sometimes right and wrong in these binaries get a little static. They get a little stodgy. They get a little... um, They lack a bit of nuance, and that out there beyond right and wrong, it's not that right and wrong don't matter, but out there beyond them, that's where the real juice is. That's where the real conversation's happening. I will meet you there. It just so happens that we find in the book of Acts that the Spirit of God consistently leading the disciples, the apostles, out beyond the boundaries that they know. Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What a story. Holy buckets. The first convert in the new story of the people of God, the newly defined people of God in scripture, in, in Jesus, is a, is, a, is a man of color who's a sexual minority. That's the first convert, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What, what is stopping me from being baptized, he says. And Philip's like, well, according to my Torah teacher, a whole bunch of things, but according to what the spirit's up to, I guess nothing. So he dunks him. Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a dream, a vision about a man named Cornelius, where he's told to eat things that would have been completely off-limits. And then he's told to eat that meal of completely off-limit things inside the house of the pagan unbeliever, which was also completely off-limits, way beyond the boundaries that they would have set, or that would have been considered normal and natural for a Jewish apostle. But there it is, the Spirit moving out beyond in order to welcome more and more people into the story. It's not just for the sake of anything. No, there's a point to this whole thing. The table keeps getting bigger. Acts chapter 15, the Jewish leaders have this great debate about the the Gentile converts, the Gentiles who are coming into the faith by way of faith in Jesus. And they're like, well, they got to get circumcised because we had to get circumcised. And the Gentiles are like, "Ah, let's talk about that. So they do. And one of, the, one of, the, one of the, my favorite moments in the book of Acts, they gather back together and they're like, well, it's clear that the spirit of God is alive and well in you, indwelling you, illuminating the life of Christ to you. So here's what we would tell you. Um, don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols, stay away from sexual immorality, and um, that's about it. <laughs> it seems good to the spirit in us. A boundary marker, circumcision, that had been in place for the entire history of God's people in the Bible. We're talking like one of the most basic laws, one of the most basic fences, one of the most basic boundaries for any Jew. And the Spirit says, let's move beyond that. The story keeps going out beyond the walls and the fences to a well of living water named Jesus. That's open to any and all by faith. So, friends, this is the work of the Spirit, which is why I think it is essential for us, if we're going to gather around a well instead of build fences, that we depend, declare our dependence again and again on the Spirit of God to continue the creative work of the Father and the redemptive work of of Jesus through the church for the sake of the world. If we're going to gather around a well and not build a fence... We desperately need something, someone outside of ourselves to be leading and guiding. if it's me, we are in big trouble. if it's you, we 're in big trouble and god's not done speaking and revealing, so we need the spirit to, to open our eyes to illuminate the work that that, that that's, that's happening now in 2021 and how the church is supposed to be living into it to be indwelling and taking up residence in our lives moving shaping transforming guiding us into what's true and leading us leading us even sometimes out beyond some of the boundaries or markers that we maybe have thought were true and right for a very long time in our religious life well only to come to find out that the spirit is out there inviting us beyond into the convert into new conversations about gentile converts who don't need to be circumcised or eating meat sacrificed to idols Or baptizing minority, sexual minorities, people of color in this case, which would have been bonkers. So, friends, I am convinced if we're gonna do this, and it seems like, you know, there's resonance around here. No one's coming up to me saying, hey, Micah, I think this well idea is a dumb one and we should go back to building fences. Nobody's telling me that. So, if I'm onto something, if I'm like smoking the good stuff, then If we're going to do this, then we will desperately need the Holy Spirit's presence among us. And without it, all we can do is build fences. And I'm not interested. I want to sail the boat on the open ocean. I don't want to stay in the harbor. So, if you're with me, then let's declare our dependence on the Spirit of God among us and in us to lead and guide, shape, transform, move illuminate who and what God is like and up to so we know where to go. Amen? Let's pray. God, as we take a few moments in silence to consider the work of the Spirit, I pray that you would take this maybe complex idea for our simple minds and make it known, make it available, accessible to us. Um, I pray that you would do the work that only your spirit can do illuminating not only who you are and the work that you've done Jesus but um, who we are who you've called us to be if there is ways that we are uh, standing in the way of your your work in us um, opposing what's true and right and good, illuminate it. Turn on the lights, I pray. Take up residence in our lives so much so that we don't move until the Spirit says move. And God, lead us. Lead us so that the things we care about are the things you care about. So that the people you say are included, we say are included. So that we're not making our converts twice the sons of hell as we are. So that we're not tying, making it difficult for people who want to enter the kingdom to enter the kingdom. God, we need your eyes. We need you to lead and guide us desperately. We cannot do it without you. So we say, lead us and guide us, I pray. Do Tears- Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood, which will be shed for you. So when you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. It's important to remember that this is a table that we come to often, but not because we own it. This is the table of the Lord, not the church. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have little. You who have been here often or maybe not for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you, but because the spirit of the living God, the resurrected Christ, invites you to come and be fed, to be known, to be healed at the table. So as you take the bread, I'd invite you to hear these words. Body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. As you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink, friends. It's good to be together. If you're watching this, either you're out of town, you couldn't make it, or it's raining. Um, but uh, it sure has been good to see some of your faces over the last couple weeks couple of announcements, just so you know what's going on in the life of the community. There's a Bible study tonight at 5.30, that's online, it's led by Forty Orchards. Um, Actually, the studies that I used to do with Rabbi Allen have become, or made their way into what is now Forty Orchards. So, um, if you haven't participated in that, it's open to anybody, you're welcome to. Links for registration are in the Awaken Weekly and on the website. And then um, there's a, a, a garden, we just had a work day yesterday. To those of you who came, thank you. Um, And to the rest of you, if you're interested in participating in that throughout the summer, we need volunteers and people to help with that. Uh, All the food grown goes to local food shelves, so it's um, good times for a good cause. That is all I have for you, my friends, so um, receive this blessing as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, Amen and amen. See you next week. Book.com. backslash awakening